Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. you to Reaching Out Radio within the Word with Sister Pearl. I'm so grateful to my Heavenly Father for this privilege to be able to share the Word with you uh, this Sunday evening, and I want to give a special shout out tonight to Evangelist Montel Fields, 
who is the visionary behind this wonderful Reaching Out Radio ministry that goes all around the world. Thank God for you, Evangelist Montel. God bless you. Pray that God will strengthen you and continue to encourage your heart for all that you're doing to promote the gospel that men and women might come to know Christ. So tonight, I want to welcome, whether you're listening in um, from China or from England, from one of our countries in South America or our neighboring country in Canada, or as far away as China, the Philippines, Switzerland, wherever you're listening from, we want to bless you in the name that's above every other name, and that name is Jesus. What a wonderful name that is. Tonight, the wonderful song that you heard was called For the Cause, and it's done by Keith and Kristen Getty, a beautiful Christian couple, and you're going to know why I picked this song for tonight, because we're going to talk about Is There Not a cause. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer first and invite him to just come and have his way in this next hour that we're going to be together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful um, that we can call you Abba, that we can call you Papa, that we can call you our Heavenly Father. There's no one like you in all the universe. And we're so excited that you give us an opportunity to be your children. If we put our faith and our trust in you and we repent of our sins, turn from our wicked ways and follow you, Lord God, we are your children just by pure faith in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us on Calvary's cross. Thank you so much, Lord God. Thank you so much for this word that you've given us in the Old Testament, uh, given us to teach us so many wonderful things about how we can live and how we can respond to the things that are happening in this world. Just, we learn so many fascinating things in your precious word. God, make it come alive. Make it real to us. Hide me behind the cross that the people do not remember, Sister Pearl. It's not about me. It's not even about this radio station. What it is is about you and your being holy and your being God and you're being all-righteous, and you're being omnipotent, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. It's all about you, Lord God. So be glorified. We pray. Touch everyone that would listen, man, woman, boy, or girl, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. So let's just get straight into the Word. Again, we're reading from 1 Samuel. That's a book in the Old Testament. There's First and Second Samuel, but we're going to be reading from First Samuel, and we're going to look at the 17th chapter. So First Samuel, chapter 17. We're actually going to start reading from verse 12. Enter David. He was the son of Jesse, the Ephrathite from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse, the father of eight sons was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The names of the three sons who had joined up with Saul were Eliab, the firstborn, next Abinadab, and third Shammah. David was the youngest son. While his three oldest brothers went to war with Saul, David went back and forth from attending to Saul to tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. One day, Jesse told David, his son, take this sack of cracked wheat and these ten loaves of bread and run them down to your brothers in the camp and take these ten wedges of cheese to the captain of their division. Check in on your brothers to see whether they're getting along all right and let me know how they're doing. Saul and your brothers and all the Israelites in the war with the Philistines in the Oak Valley. David was up at the crack of dawn and having arranged for someone to tend his flock, took the food and was on his way just as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines moved into position, facing each other, Battle ready. David left his bundles of food in the care of a sentry, 
ran to the troops who were deployed and greeted his brothers. While they were talking together, the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, stepped out from the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge. David heard him. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant totally frightened. The talk among the troops was, Have you ever seen anything like this? This man openly and defiantly challenging Israel. The man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward, offer his daughter as a bride, and give his entire family a free ride. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, What's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly bloat on Israel's honor? Who does he think he is anyway, this uncircumcised Philistine, taunting the armies of God alive? They told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. What is it with you, replied David. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer as before. And I want to tell you, verse 29 says it a little bit differently in the King James Version. Basically, it goes like this. Now what have I done? asked David. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Hmm. Yes, David. There is a cause. Yes, David, there is a cause. There is a reason to ask the question that so badly needed to be asked. Now, I just want us to examine this because a lot of times we look at this story, for those of you that are familiar with it, and for those of you that this might be brand new, let, let's just look at how the elder brother, who was really the oldest brother, Eliab, how he reacted when he saw David come there, he immediately accused him of some pretty horrific things. You know, he told him pretty much he was conceited, he was rude, he was wicked, he was proud. I mean, where, where did Eliab get all of this from? Basically, David went down, he heard this giant of a man... Uh, you know, frighten and threaten the men of Israel. And he just asked a very simple question. He asked, well, who is this guy? Which is just a normal, normal question. But sometimes when people, uh, they, they, they know that you're different from them. Perhaps you're following God and they're not following God. And so basically... They feel that they should be the only ones to be able to express their sentiments. They should be the only ones that should be able to discuss and say openly how they feel or ask a question or want to know what's going on. And think about that. Let, let me just give you a little background on David. David, at this point in time, is just a lowly shepherd boy. He is the youngest of his father's sons. All right. Then you have the older, bigger ones. The older ones are going out to war with Israel under the command of King Saul. The father is Jesse. Jesse is now wondering 
what is going on with my older sons that are at war? I wonder how they're faring. I wonder if they're doing well. You know, I just really would like to know. I, I'm eager to understand their present condition. Of course, he's a father. He cares about his children. So he, he asked the very youngest of his sons, who he will not send out to war, and who is tending his sheep. He's asking him, you know, put the sheep aside for a while. Let somebody else, one of my other servants, tend to them. And I want you to go ahead and, and tell, try to find out what's going on with your elder brothers and come back and give me a report. So David does that. He's just being obedient, you know, at the request of his father. Now he does that, but while he's doing that, he, he sees that there's something really strange going on. Not only are the men of Israel preparing for a battle, but there's this huge, and I mean huge, big man that is threatening that is cursing, that is challenging the men of Israel. And they've never seen anybody quite like this this man. He's a giant. And uh, David gets wind of it because David is down there while he's doing what his, his father had requested of him. And he, and he gets to hear this big man, Goliath, and, and, and all the things that he was shouting. And then his curiosity... Of course, I think it was you or if it was me, we would ask the same question. Well, who is this guy? What is he doing? But instead of allowing David to just, you know, follow the normal uh, way of thinking like any human being would, his older brother immediately takes offense. What are you doing down here? Uh, who do you think you are, basically? You got a lot of nerve. You're just a little nobody with some scrawny sheep. So I could tell just from this small portion of scripture, David has some, some hard times with some of his, I don't know how many of his older brothers treated him like this, but certainly his elder brother was not kind at all. And remember, David did not go down there by himself. He did not go down there on his own volition. He went down there at the request of his father, Jesse. So let's remember that. David did not just go down there to be nosy. He went down there because he was set down there. And, and, and I want to say this to you, and I, want to, and I want to remind myself. I'm specially speaking, specifically speaking, to Christians right now. You and I, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible calls us as being saved, born again, we are going to begin to look at things differently. We're going to be able to discern things differently and judge things differently. And we're going to care about some things that perhaps we wouldn't have cared about previously. Now, in this present world that you and I live in, there's, there are a lot of things that are coming up against us. When we come to faith in Christ, we come out of the kingdom of darkness and we enter the kingdom of light. When you and I come to believe in Jesus Christ and take him as the Lord and the Savior of our lives, we leave the kingdom of the enemy that's run by Satan and his crew and we come into God's glorious kingdom that is headed up by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we are of a different kingdom. We're not of this worldly kingdom. And at least we're not supposed to be of the worldly kingdom. We're to come out from among them. Many of you that have been listening to the various broadcasts, you've heard me talk about the church. And the church is in the the Greek word is the ecclesia, and the church, what the church literally stands for is it means that we are the called out ones. We've been called out of darkness to come into God's glorious light. So we're no longer living 
and conducting business as we used to do before we met Christ. When we meet Christ, all of a sudden now, we change direction because now we're following Him and we're pursuing Him. So we're in the direction that He is and we're following where He's going and where He's leading. So, so think about that when you think about this story with David and going down to see his brothers that are under the command of King Saul and all of the other Israelite men that are now being taunted on a daily basis by the Philistine but especially by their big champion Goliath. And I want you to think for a moment about what you're dealing with in your world, in, in, in your environment, in your surroundings. And, and who are the enemies? And who is the enemy? And who is God? in all of this now we've got to really understand this story we're going to go a little further and I'd like to read a little bit more of what is found in 1 Samuel 17 so I'm going to go now to the NIV it says so now what have I done can I even speak or as the King James said is there not a cause I really like it in the King James it says is there not a cause? Is there not a reason, in other words, that I should even ask a question? Or should we just allow things to be as they are and not question them? Come on. That's really what David is asking. Do you want me to notice what is going around now that I've come to check, you know, on how you all are doing? Do you want me, as your youngest brother, to see what's going on and not even question what's going on? Is this reasonable? And of course it's not reasonable. It's not a matter of how young he is. He's still a human being. He's a young man. He sees that these people are in deep, deep waters. They're in a lot of trouble. The Israelite soldiers are scared. So now in verse 30, he turns away from his brother Eliab because Eliab is, is totally off. Totally, you know, not understanding where David is coming from. So he turns away to somebody else. He brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and repeated to Saul and Saul the king sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not... You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. 
He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, growing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll, stroke, I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of him, all of you, excuse me, he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Wow. Wow. Let's just stop here for a second. My, my, my. A little boy, a big giant, a scared Israeli army, a proud Philistine army thinking that their great champion Goliath was going to save them. My goodness. What lessons can we learn from this story today? David was used of God in his time to slay, completely slaughter, a huge giant by the name of Goliath, much more experienced in war, much older than him, much bigger and greater in stature, uh, you know, much more feared than little young lad David. But what was the difference now between Goliath and David? What was the difference between Saul and David? What was the difference between David's brothers and David? Let's just think about this. Number one, David already had an experience with God. Because when King Saul asked him, you know, like basically told him, you know, you're, you're not able, you know, forget about it. You know, basically you cannot, you cannot fight this big giant of a man because you're just a little boy, you're just a lad. But then David had the opportunity before King Saul, he said, well, look. I have experience. He didn't say those words exactly in, in the Word of God. doesn't say that. But he says, I know what it is for God to deliver me. Because I remember when I was in my father's field with the sheep that he asked me to tend to take care of. And God delivered me from some fierce animals. And I actually was able to kill them. I struck them, I killed them. And what I like about David, David is not bragging in the fact that he himself was able to kill these animals because he certainly understood 
who was the power behind him that allowed him to destroy a bear and a lion. He clearly understood that the power was not from him, but from God. The God in whom David placed his trust in. See, that's very different from what these other Israelis were were thinking about. They were looking at the situation based on what they saw with their natural eye and we don't hear anything about their experience with God. All we're hearing is that they're gearing up, getting ready, and most likely they're putting on the same type of armor, very similar to what King Saul had offered David. But I like what David told King Saul. When King Saul saw that David was serious and he was really willing to go out and challenge this great giant called Goliath, Saul finally said, okay, go and the Lord be with you. Meaning, go and, you know, oh, if you, if, 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 you know, it's on you. But I'm going to let you go since you want to go. And then the Bible says in verse 38 that Saul dressed David in his own tunic. I want us to stop there just for a few minutes. A lot of Christians today are trying to dress up in the tunic of the world. Are you hearing me? They're trying to put on the same clothes that the world is putting on. Let me give you an example of this. A lot of Christians today, when they see the world and the society and the culture and the fact that they've gone totally contrary to the ways of God, a lot of Christians today, especially I'm thinking of in America, but I can tell you it's not only in America that this is happening. But a lot of Christians, instead of being on their knees before a holy God and and going to the source of where their help really is going to come from, they're putting on tunics or robes. A robe really means righteousness. It's it, it, it's a spiritualization of being righteous before God, being in a right standing with God, and 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 wearing a robe that He clothes you with. But instead of putting on the righteousness of God, which is found only in Christ Jesus, and putting our faith and our confidence in God, we're trying to put on tunics. For for example, we're trusting in politics. Let, let's go and see who we can vote in. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm not telling Christians not to vote. I personally vote. I think it's my responsibility to vote. As a citizen of this country that I'm living in, I'm, I'm speaking to you from the United States of America. And if I were a citizen in another country, I, I would vote there. I was, a, I was um, able to vote in Hong Kong as a, as a permanent resident of Hong Kong. But I'm just saying, my confidence is not in politics. See, King Saul figured, okay, I'm going to dress David in my tunic, meaning King Saul's tunic. I'm going to put on my robe, my uh, clothing on David. I'm going to put on uh, the coat of armor that I would use or something similar to what I would use. I'm going to put on a bronze helmet on his head. All of that is found in 1 Samuel 17 and 38. David fastened on his sword over the tunic. He tried walking around, but he was not used to them. He was not used to wearing what Saul was comfortable in. That's another lesson to us. We, as God's people, should stop trying to be like the world, sound like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, move like the world, wear what the world is wearing, and think that we're going to win the battle. I like what David did. David told him flat out at the the latter part of verse 39, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. 
So he took them off. What are you doing? What am I doing that doesn't belong on me? What, what am I wearing that I shouldn't be wearing? What do I have myself wrapped in that I shouldn't have myself wrapped in? I'll tell you one of the things that you can wrap yourself in. You can wrap yourself in the ways of the world by, you know, fixating yourself in, you know, the worldly media and your, your quote-unquote understanding or your take on things is taken from the world. So you sit down, you, you watch like, for instance, you watch a television program that is written by people that don't know God, very worldly, very ungodly, promoting things that are totally contrary to things of God, you sit down there, fill yourself, your mind, your thoughts with that perverted stuff, and then you think that you're going to go out and be victorious in your Christian life. It's not going to happen. David would have never won the battle had he worn what Saul wanted him to wear. He would have never won the battle had he put on what Saul had him to put on because he was weighed. It, 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 it weighed him down. It didn't fit him right. He did not feel comfortable. He was not free wearing King Saul's outfit for battle. He needed his own outfit for battle. So he took them off. He took off those clothes that King Saul gave him. And he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. If you and I are going to be the champions that God is grooming us to be in this last day, in this last hour, we have got to put on the clothing that God Almighty clothes us with. We can no longer be walking around in the enemy's clothes. And I'm not saying that Saul was David's enemy at that moment. He didn't mean to be. He soon, be, be, he soon made himself shortly after. He soon made himself to be David's enemy. But at this point in time, he thought he was helping. He was going to help David. And make him, you know, more battle ready. That's another thing that we can learn from First Samuel chapter 17. You don't need someone who is being used and being motivated by their flesh to help you win a spiritual battle. If somebody is depending on the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, or what they know in their carnal, uncircumcised thinking, they can't help you if you're a believer and you're walking after the things of God. That's contrary. You're going in two different directions. Now, I know we talk about this story, but we, we really, I've never even heard this, but I see it in the Word of God. I've never heard it preached, but I've seen it in, in, in the Word. It's clear here for anybody to see it. We, we've talked about him not wearing Saul's clothing, but we need to talk about why he didn't wear his clothing. It's not just, it's not just some words in the story so we can hear, okay, that's what happened, but basically, it, we can learn from this. The Old Testament is to teach us how to live right now. 
And right now, if we're going to live in victory, you and I have got to understand, we've got to put on the armor of God. As is spoken in Ephesians chapter 6, we cannot put on what the world would have us wear. We put on what the world has us to wear. We're going to be fearful just like those soldiers that Goliath was threatening all the time. They had on all those typical clothing that King Saul wanted David to wear. But it, 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 it didn't help them, did it? With all of those nice things and all of the nice, you know, army garb that they had on, they were still scared rotten. Scared to death of what Goliath could do to them. But how in the world does a young boy, inexperienced in war, how does he overcome a huge giant like Goliath? Number one, he had a relationship with God. Oh, my friend. There's no easy shortcut to this. I know some people would like, you know, just read this book, read these ten steps, and then you're going to be victorious in your Christian life. Anybody who's telling you that is a con artist. They're not being sincere. They're not being truthful. There are no quickie ten steps. You cannot just read their book and think that, okay, now I'm going to be victorious in my Christian life because I've read so-and-so's book. No. You're going to have to be willing to do what David did. David spent time with God alone in that field while he was tending to his father's sheep. We're told that David was a worshiper. David was writing songs. David was playing his harp. David was spending time alone with God. Because come on, after a while, how many things can you do for sheep? And according to his elder brother, he didn't even have a lot of sheep to tend to. I'm sure his elder brother made it look worse and made it look like it was less than it really was. But nevertheless, David could only do but so much with these sheep. And he, it, it, it looks like he didn't have a lot of company. It was a lot of times himself and the sheep. So that means there must have been some kind of a cultivating of a relationship with God where David can come to a place when he's going to come face to face with a bear and he can believe God, he can put his faith in a holy God that that bear is nothing for him to take him out. Wow. My, 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 my. Not only a bear, but then a lion. Let's just be real. A lion was no less then than a lion is right now. A lion is ferocious. A lion is huge. A lion is scary to the natural eye. And yet you're talking twice. God empowered Young David to kill two ferocious animals. I'm telling you, David had to have a relationship with Almighty God. And that's how you and I, in this day that we're living in, are going to be successful. This is how we're going to be able to do exploits by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to be willing, number one, to cultivate a relationship with God just as David had cultivated a relationship with God. You and I are even in a better situation than David was back in the Old Testament because you and I, we have the Holy Spirit. That if we invite, if we confess of our sins, and if we 
repent in earnest and invite the Lord to come and be the ruler, the master, the Lord of our lives? Wow! We have more than what David had back in those days because we have the Holy Spirit actually indwelling us. David was going on his faith in God. And my, 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 did God honor his faith. But it takes time, my friend. You're going to have to spend time in prayer. You're going to have to spend time in the Word. It's not just a matter of turning on a show or listening to even this radio broadcast. You and I are going to be... We have to get to a place where we're willing to spend some time every day with our God, the only true and the living God. He knows you, but you need to get to know Him. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to do exploits. Let me tell you something. You're alive in this season, in history, it's not by coincidence. It's not just because you happen to be alive right now. No, you're alive right now because God sovereignly ordained that you would be alive for such a time as this. God has a plan. God has a destiny for you. We're living in very wicked times in a day that's very confused. We're living in a time when Men don't know if they're men. Women don't know if they're women. The society that's older is trying to confuse young babies. They're just coming into the world to, to make them doubt who God made them to be. We are living in times that are very, very wicked. Very wicked. Yes, there are wonderful things that are happening. Yes, there are beautiful things going on. But at the same time, there's some horrific things happening. And God wants to bring some change. And not everything's going to change before Jesus comes back. That's for sure. But, but God does want to bring some change in some instances. And who's he going to use? He's going to use his people. But his people have got to have faith like David had when he faced Goliath. All Saul and his soldiers could see was the bigness of Goliath. What I love about David is that David could care less. Honestly, there's nothing in 1 Samuel 17 that David is, is talking about how big Goliath is. David could care less about how big of a giant Goliath is. All David was thinking about is how big is his God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, young people, older people, if we at all have a relationship with Jesus, if we at all know God to be our Heavenly Father, this should be our mindset in this day. May God help me. May God help you. Because there's a lot of wicked giants. The name, their names are not necessarily Goliath. And, and they're not going, you know, by the name of Philistine. But there's a lot of wicked, wicked giants in the land challenging, taunting God's people today. If you're a believer, the, they want to taunt you and say that you're crazy if you believe in God. You don't have any sense if you want to conduct your life according to the principles that God has laid down in His precious Word. They tell you that you're Intolerant. They tell you that you're narrow. <laughs> that reminds me of a story. When I was much younger, 
let's see, I must have been in my early 30s, and I was on a plane. Okay, so I'm on a plane, just Jesus and me, I'm minding my business, sitting down, and this man begins to talk to me, a young man, also perhaps in his early 30s. So he, he sees me, he likes the way I look, I was much younger, remember, he's talking to me, sees me by myself, he's trying to get me engaged in conversation, trying to, uh, you know, get me to think he's, he's cute or he's somebody that I should be giving attention to, and he, he's trying to engage me in, in deep conversation, but it didn't go too far. Because he could see by my responses that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. So he came out straight and told me, well, you're, you're, you're I'm, I'm very broad-minded. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a lot broad-minded than you are. You seem to be a lot more narrow. And I had to nicely remind him of the word of God that says, you know, broad is the way that leads to, to destruction. Narrow is that road that leads to the kingdom of God. Hello? I used my own words, but he got the point. He was on the broad way. He had no shame in telling me that. I'm on the very broad way. And I want you to know something today. In 2018, that has not changed. In the 21st century, that's exactly the road that the world is on. They're on the broad road. The road that leads far away from God. The road that leads you away from your God-given destiny. The road that leads you to fear. When the enemy will put before you you know, something for you to see that looks big and unsurmountable and looks ferocious and looks scary. The enemy, if you're on the broad road, will let you just focus on that. But if you're on the narrow road, if you're on God's road, if you're taking the highway, the king's road, there could be 20 Goliaths in front of you but your eyes are elevated because you've been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and you're now like that eagle that's soaring high above the circumstance, the enemies, the scary looks. You're way above that and all you're focusing on is God. So you're not going to be swayed, you know, back and forth, up and down. You're constant. You're immovable. Why? Because you're like David of old when David was looking at the greatness of his God instead of looking at the bigness of a carnal enemy. He already knew in his young mind, this Goliath is nothing for my God. Nothing. But the other people weren't like that. My question is, 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 number one, is there not a cause? Yes, there is. In a world where most of the people don't even know who they are, where they're going, what, what God wants for them, um, what they should be doing, they're confused, they want to waste their time. I mean, let's face it, I'm not against sports. I'm not against, you know, good, clean entertainment. I think it's wonderful to go to a concert sometime. I think it's wonderful to be able to go to a good sports game. I think that's all wonderful. But I think in this day and age, we're really confused. We spend more money. And I say we, not necessarily you or me personally, but as a people. We spend more money in pornography. We spend more money in sports. We spend more money in producing movies than we would do 
trying to educate children in a right way. Is there not a cause? With the enemies of God taunting, challenging, harassing, scaring, cursing, is there not a cause that the people of God should rise up, stand up, and say like David of old, who is this uncircumcised enemy of God? Come on, church. What are we doing in this hour? What are we doing in this end time day? Are we serious? I told a friend of mine recently, I feel like some of the church is, is archaic. They're still doing what they did 45 years ago. Nothing has changed. Very little has changed. The world has changed. So many people within the house of God claiming to be Christians have not changed. Take, for instance, this whole thing with, with abortion. How many pastors are talking about this? This is a huge issue. This is something that's the greatest killer of human beings in America. And the church, the majority of the church, refuses to talk about it. Are we for real? What day are we living in? If we're going to be relevant, David was relevant. Why did, how? Of course, it's not so much why. But what was one of the ways that God raised David to fulfill his God-given destiny? Well, the first thing, one of the first stepping stones to him eventually becoming the king of Israel was, was this situation when God used him to slay Goliath. He would have never come to prominence had he not slayed Goliath. But he was used of God to slay Goliath when nobody else was willing to challenge Goliath. I believe in this end time hour, God is raising up Goliath. Well, I should, I should change that. The devil has raised up Goliaths. God is raising up Davids. Okay? The world already has a lot of Goliaths. A lot of enemies of God. That the enemy has raised, not God. I changed what I said before. That was misspeaking. God raises up Davids. God raises up Davids in this last day and hour. Are you going to be a David? He's not going to ask you, I don't believe, in this time, because we don't have a lot of big giants that we have to fear in the natural, like men that are over nine feet tall. That's not the question. The question is, who are the Goliaths right now? The Goliaths right now are those people that are used of the enemy, the mindsets, the perspectives, the ideologies that are contrary to God, the philosophies, the idolatries that are in the present world that are trying so much to infiltrate your mind. Yes, your mind, even though you're a believer, trying hard to infiltrate and convince you as a believer to, you know, put down your guard and just run away. Get in line. Align yourself with the ways of the world, the thinking of the world, 
smell they want you to smell like the world, look like the world, walk like the world, think like the world, react like the world, do as the world does, and then they like you. If you are a Christian, if you're claiming to be a man or a woman of God, I'm here to tell you that's not the way you should be going. Is there not a cause? When you see young people so out of it that they're looking for any quick fix, any little high, any little drug, any little pill, any way they can cut themselves, any way they can hurt themselves, any way they can, uh, you know, do something to themselves to, to change themselves. If they're a boy, maybe I should try to be a girl. If they're a girl, maybe I should try to be a boy. I'm telling you, the world is confused. And God wants to raise up some spiritual Davids that will speak to the Goliath and say, this day you will be no more. Your end is coming. God is raising up some, some Davids that are not afraid to face the Goliaths of our present day. Are you going to be a David? Will you be one? Is there not a cause? There is. I leave you with this tonight. God bless you. Until the next time. <laughs>